Jesus' name, amen. Lily, but half an hour. So we are continuing on in Ephesians. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. I'm going to read the, just the two verses. You can follow along on the screen if you don't have a Bible or aren't sure where to find it. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So although this isn't planned, and it wasn't planned, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, with its themes of imitating Jesus in order to live a life of love, dovetails really well with Christmas and Advent. Christmas because, as Justin read in our call to worship, the incarnation, the event of God becoming fully human, is actually used as a template for what it means to imitate Jesus and live the Christian life. In Philippians 2, verses 5 to 7, Paul writes, your attitude should be the same as as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, meaning something to be held onto or something that he was entitled to keep, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, coming as a lowly baby. So Christmas is an event, but it's also a paradigm. It's a way of seeing and understanding our call as Christians to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, who, although he was entitled to power and glory, he emptied himself of that in order that other people might find life and hope and redemption. And it's a good dovetail with Advent because the themes of hope and joy and peace and love are emphasized throughout this month, not as generic human values of brotherhood amongst, across humanity, but as things that are uniquely found and gifts that can be uniquely discovered and received only in and through Jesus. And so lately we've been exploring what it means to imitate Jesus, how imitation kind of differs from mimicry. And so coming into Advent, I realized this is a good time to steep in this theme of imitation, that as we move towards the incarnation, we can just kind of swim in this new paradigm of what does it look like to follow Jesus faithfully and to live out the Christmas event in our lives and not have it just be localized to a few weeks of the year, but have it become something that informs our daily actions and everyday lives. Remember the five stages of transformation that I talked about last week, um, about how in growth and in change, regardless of the area of life, there's often a gap between coming to value something and then prioritizing it. There's a sticking point that most of us have between committing and saying, yep, I totally value this, and then making it real, beginning to integrate it into our lives. 
what I want to do this month is take these themes of hope and joy and peace and love, which likely we value. No one's going to say I don't value those things. But are we prioritizing them? And what I mean by that is are we living into them? Are we living from them? Or, like the way our culture maybe teaches us in some ways, are we putting up the lights and the tinsel and kind of we're, we're decorating the outside of the cup and we're celebrating love and peace and joy and hope, but it's actually not a real lived experience in our lives. And it doesn't have to be that way. But the transition between giving lip service to those values and actually prioritizing them and beginning to experience them and having the love and the joy and the peace of God touch our lives and transform us is often the practice of spiritual disciplines. So spiritual discipline is a practice of something. It's rooted in the Bible, and spiritual disciplines are things that help us grow deeper and wider in our walk with Christ. Spiritual disciplines are practices rooted in the Bible that help us grow deeper in our walk with Christ. And they've been shown throughout Christian history. There's lots of things, different things that Christians do in big and small ways. But spiritual disciplines are things that when you look over the 2,000 years of Christianity of people who have sincerely sought to follow Jesus, there are certain practices that have had an exponential effect on people's ability to mature and grow spiritually and to have, and to have a life that increasingly brings glory to God and good to neighbors and communities uh, around the world. And so none of these things are a silver bullet, but in my experience personally and pastorally, it's very difficult to find a Christian who's walking in the experience of faith, hope, peace, love, who's imitating Jesus who isn't practicing at least a fair amount of these disciplines consistently. Even if they might not have the language, they might not see them as spiritual disciplines. It's just stuff they do. But these are things that, while they aren't a silver bullet, to not do them, to forsake them, or to sideline them, I would argue it's almost impossible to have a flourishing, rich Christian life. And so the list of key spiritual disciplines will differ a little bit depending on the Christian tradition that you're a part of, but I want to explore six over the next three weeks. I'm going to kind of double them up each week. Today I'm going to look at Bible study and prayer or scripture meditation. Then I'm going to look at simplicity and giving. Then lastly, I'm going to look at solitude and spiritual friendship. Now spiritual disciplines are really, really important to understand in order to build a really strong and vibrant friendship and relationship with God. But it's only if you understand, that can only happen if you understand what spiritual disciplines are not. Because if you, it's really important to get clear here. So the first thing that a spiritual discipline is not, is a spiritual discipline is not a way to earn God's favor and grace and love. That is not why Christians do them. In commenting on the Christmas event, the apostle John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And then in verse 14 he says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the Christmas story is about the second person of the Godhead, the Trinity, Jesus, becoming human and coming down to us because we couldn't rise up to God. 
Titus 3.5 says, He saved us not because of righteous things that we've done, but because of his mercy. In Ephesians 2, Paul writes, It's by grace you've been saved through faith. This isn't from yourselves. It's a gift from God. It's not by works, or we might think religiosity or morality, so that no one can boast. And that means spiritual disciplines aren't things that we do in order to clean ourselves up or fix ourselves up or justify ourselves before God. They aren't things that we do in order to say, oh, now I'm worthy to ask God for his love or his grace or his forgiveness because I've shown God the kind of person that I am or somehow I've made it up to him or I've accrued enough spiritual credit. Christians celebrate Christmas because Christmas shows that we can't earn our way into God's favor and love. The spiritual disciplines are not things we do to get into God's good, good books. You can only come into a right and healed relationship with God by accepting Christ as your Savior, by asking, and for, by asking for and receiving his forgiveness, his healing, and then deciding to follow him as your Lord, as we just sang. Not just saying, like, yeah, I believe some stuff, right? I, I, just, I value Jesus in the abstract. I'm now prioritizing I've now decided to follow Jesus. And I'm going to figure out and learn what that looks like for the rest of my life. And that's a gift that you receive by faith. You don't earn it. You simply ask for it. And if you're trusting God, you can receive it by faith. That's part of the wonderful message of Christmas. But once we're in relationship with Jesus, once we've been adopted as sons and daughters, after we've received forgiveness and now we're secure and we're called a child of God. What the spiritual disciplines help us to do is to draw ever closer to God and deeper in our relationship with him, right? I have a relationship with every member of my family by virtue of the fact that we're just one family. And there's nothing that my kids could do that would ever lead me to unadopt them. They will always be part of my family, but there are practices that we can do to strengthen those relationships so that our family life and our family culture becomes increasingly one that's pervaded by joy and hope and love and peace. And that's kind of what the spiritual disciplines are. They're things that help us grow deeper in relationship with God and sharing that love with other people. Many Christians know God loves them. They know God has hope for them. They know God, they know there's hope and there's joy to be found in God through Jesus, but they don't necessarily live from those places. And the disconnect, again, is often that they're not practicing certain things, certain rhythms of life that will help them stay rooted to Jesus. And so spiritual disciplines help us prioritize our desire to follow Jesus faithfully and honor God wholeheartedly. They help us to get past that sticking point of, yeah, I kind of value this stuff, but life just seems to happen, and a week goes by, a month goes by, a year goes by, and I'm just, I feel just kind of stuck in my relationship with God. So spiritual disciplines are not a way to earn God's love or favor. But neither are they kind of the tax of the Christian life. And I raise this point because there's some people, when they become Christians and they begin to realize, oh, there's things that, in the language they'll use, I have to do as a Christian, which is true. They see it as kind of like a tax, right? Okay, so there's an exchange. Like, I can ask Jesus for forgiveness. He can give me eternal life and maybe have a very 
kind of thin understanding of discipleship. So you're like, okay, well, when I, the whole end game is when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. And, but there's kind of like a tax that I have to pay for that gift that God has given me. And the tax is, got to go to church, got to read my Bible, got to pray, got to be friendly to Christians who drive me nuts. Huh? Right? That's the tax. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. And I know I've got my cross to bear, and it's all these things that you're making me do. And that's just a really, really distorted and twisted and unbiblical and unwise and unhelpful way to understand spiritual disciplines. These aren't things that we do to somehow pay God back for his mercy. Yeah, we didn't earn salvation, but we can kind of pay God back for it on the other end. No. There are ways that lead us into a deeper life in Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, We don't lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. Wouldn't it be amazing to experience every year that goes by, even with the addition of wrinkles and scars and wounds and aches and aging, your interiority was being ever strengthened and your relationship with God was being ever deepened and ever expanded. And your experience was, yeah, the reality is right now we still live in a world corrupted by sin and there's, my body's wasting away. But inwardly, I feel like I'm living into a deeper and richer experience of life. I'm feeling renewed day by day. And that kind of experience is absolutely possible. But it requires us to participate in certain disciplines that keep us rooted and growing in Jesus. That kind of experience will require us practicing creatively and consistently disciplines. Again, not as a way to pay back God or to earn God, but to simply learn how to build a strong friendship with God. Now, there are some people who hear the word discipline or structure or habit or any, any kind of to-do, right? They, you know, they prefer the 10 suggestions. Um, and they, what they hear when it comes to c- commands towards obedience or anything is, you know what, that kind of stuff cramps my style. I'm like a go-with-the-flow person. Discipline and too much order, it's just so constraining and confining. And whenever the topic of discipline comes up or practices or habits or religious to-dos, I roll my eyes, I tune it out because you know what? I like to just be able to be, I, I, I appreciate my freedom and my autonomy. I want to be able to kind of go where the wind blows. That's a, that's a value of mine. And disciplines cramp my style. Now, there's reasons for that. Some of them might be rooted in our temperament. There are some people who just push back against any kind of outside-in thou shalt. And we're like, oh, don't tell me what, what to do. There can be pride issues there. And it can also be just the result of a cultural voice that has steadily fed into our imagination for decades now that subtly and not so subtly teaches us that disciplines, anything that constrains you, anything that restricts you, Anything that holds you back is a constraint on freedom. And freedom is one of your highest and deepest values, or should be. Right? We're a culture that we like to keep our options open. And that means not getting pigeonholed into commitments that restrict us from zagging when we had maybe we were asked to zig. 
And too much discipline, too much structure can make us feel psychologically confined. And so many of us buck against that. We resist it. But we don't resist kind of over-constraint. It's now gotten to the point as a culture, and certainly I see it in my own heart, where it's almost like any level of constraint, any demands, any commands, any challenges to limit behavior, um, spending, way we're using certain things in our lives, that feels like an assault on my sovereignty as a person. And so our, the, whether or not we vocalize the words, what we can think in our heart is disciplines and start, like, no, thank you, I'll keep my freedom f- for myself. Like, I, I value freedom too much. I'm, I'm not about to give it up for God or for you, Pastor Jeff, or for you, spouse, or for you, kids. Or like, I'm not gonna do that. I'll keep my freedom I love my freedom. Thank you very much. The question I would invite us to think about in response to that voice in our hearts is how much freedom do you actually possess? So how many people right now, show of hands, have the freedom to walk over to that piano and to play something beautiful? Put your hand up if you can do it. Put your hand up if you have the freedom to do that right now, okay? How many people here have the freedom to steward their finances in such a way that they are living consistently within their means? Debt things aren't an issue for you. You have control over things. You kind of know what goes in. You don't, you don't feel economically anxious because you kind of have a handle on things. How many people? Just put up your hand, okay? How many people here are free to create beautiful art, whether it's digital art or visual art or sculptures? How, how, many, how many people here can do that? How many people are free here this morning to run a marathon next weekend? That's the least amount of hands. Right? How, how come everyone for all, any of those questions, why aren't we all just raising our hands? Because many of us aren't free to do those things. We're constrained and restricted because whether intentionally or not, we did not put disciplines in place into our life a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago that would give us the freedom to walk over to that piano and not just play music, but maybe even write your own. No one feels like they have the freedom that comes from the discipline of preparation so that if they found out about a marathon happening next weekend, they could be like, oh, that'd be super fun. I'm totally free to go to that. How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hands for these, how many of you are free this morning to forgive your enemies? Or that family member who's hurt you? Or that person in your life who's a genuinely toxic presence. How many of you are free this morning to listen well to other people and to bear other people's burdens? How many of you are free to walk with peace and purpose and power into your life right now, even though there's a lot of things going on in your life that are chaotic and difficult and painful? How many of you have the freedom to walk into that with the conviction the Lord is my shepherd? 
the only people who have the freedom to do those things are people who have voluntarily disciplined themselves in often secret areas of their life. And then God has granted them greater capacity, greater depth of intimacy with him, greater faith, greater interior strength, and now they are free. But they're free on the far side of discipline. Right? Only because these people have entered into disciplines, and maybe even without knowing it, spiritual disciplines, those have allowed them to walk into a deeper level of freedom. It is absolutely true that there are constraints and there are restrictions that are negative and that really do hold us back. But part of the Bible, I think part of the Bible's wisdom is to show us very clearly that when you enter into the right disciplines, the right restraints, you actually don't lose freedom, you build it into your life. You're building freedom. Now, in the short term, it feels like you're restricting freedom because I have to go to soccer practice, right? I have to do the drills. But within a short window, you begin to gain opportunities as your skill increase through your discipline. You now have new opportunities and new freedoms that you didn't have before. You now have the freedom to not ride the bench and play on the starting lineup. And that's a freedom that's come on the far side of discipline. Timothy Keller says, in many areas of life, freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as finding the right ones, finding the liberating restrictions. And those that fit with the reality of our nature and the world produce greater power and scope for our abilities and a deeper joy and fulfillment. And so it's really important to understand that spiritual disciplines are actually liberating. And that's how we should approach them. They're habits that create greater freedom in every dimension of our life. We don't call them spiritual disciplines because they just affect a spiritual part of our lives. They're called spiritual disciplines because they are core disciplines which God uses to work from the inside out to affect all dimensions of life. So they bring freedom to all of life. They're a powerful mechanism by which God uh, blesses us, helps us, equips us, refreshes us, truths us, renews us, and maybe none more so than the personal, than, than the discipline of having a personal devotional time where we're meaningfully engaging the word of God and learning to pray. I want to tackle, tackle those two together, Bible study or meditation and prayer this morning because they often go together in a lot of conservative or evangelical churches, Bible-believing churches, there's that language of having a devotional time. And the idea behind it is pretty simple. It's a, a pocket of time during the day, ideally daily, where you are learning to study the Bible for yourself and go to Scripture and learn to pray. And if there is a bread and butter spiritual discipline, a personal devotional time that has some Bible study and prayer is, is probably it. And I would just say, I'm not sure how, what your expectation should be in terms of growth as a Christian or a dynamism of your Christian life if you're not prioritizing a devotional time. I'm not sure what you should expect, but I think it should be pretty meager because this is a core discipline of learning 
to draw near to Jesus and learn to draw upon his strength and power and truth. But I say that in recognition for myself and for many people, there are many times in our spiritual journey where that personal devotional time is an absolute sticking point, right? That point where we value it, for sure, got to get back to it, want to, yeah, but a week goes by, a month goes by, maybe years go by, and outside of Sunday morning or somewhere else where someone else is opening up the Bible for us at a Bible study, but we're not doing it personally. How do we get through the impasse between valuing it and prioritizing it? And again, it's learning to enter into it and see it as a spiritual discipline that leads to greater freedom. Now, there are probably three basic sticking points for why personal devotions, why we get stuck. The first is, I don't even know where to start. I either don't know anything about the Bible, I'm new to the faith, or I don't know which to choose. There's a million devotionals, there's all kinds of stuff that I see. I don't know who to trust, what I should be listening to, who I should be listening to. Option paralysis, there's just a million, there's devotions for all kinds of stages of life and books of the Bible. I don't, I don't even know where to start. I get overwhelmed and I shut down and I walk away. I totally get it. It can be overwhelming. What, what do you choose? Where do you start? The second sticking point is often I'm just honestly bored or disinterested. Like I try and do it and I try and white knuckle it and power through it. Like, oh, I'm going to do devotions. It's my big to-do list. I'm going to be spiritually strong. And I get into it and I'm like, I'm not even halfway through my Bible reading and I'm thinking about Sports Center, and then I'm just kind of like, oh, Okay, and I start over again, and I just, there's no flow, and I'm just, if I'm honest, it's just, I'm bored. And that can often emerge because we just don't feel like there's a plan or a kind of a, a teeth to what we're doing. We don't have an end game. We don't have a way to challenge ourselves through that time. And the third sticking point might just be, I'm intimidated. I, I just don't honestly know a lot about the Bible. I'm exploring the Christian faith, and Bible is like, like, this is, a, this is a little small print version, but like, oh gosh, I don't know. I'm not, I don't really consider myself super smart or super spiritual, and whenever I flip and just kind of look through it, it's like, this is weird. I don't know what's going on. So again, maybe this just kind of isn't for me, and I'm just going to kind of back away. I totally get it. I've been there many times as a Christian. The prospect can seem really daunting to sit down by yourself with the Bible and then pray, right? The Bible's one thing, then it's prayer, right? Then it's like, uh, I really don't know what I'm doing with prayer. It's like, thanks God, appreciate life. Amen. Right? Are we doing it right? Are we supposed to feel something? Are we supposed to get anything out of it? If so, what are we supposed to get? Ah, right? So don't know where to start. Bored or disinterested, intimidated or just confused. These are all sticking points. But I'm going to give you an early Christmas gift. Everyone say, thanks, Jeff. Thanks. You're welcome. I'm going to give you an early Christmas gift. I'm going to give you a practice for the month of December that are going to address all these sticking points at once regardless of, wh- of which you struggle with. Now, again, if you're rocking your devotions and you're like, I am just, I'm hitting home runs. I've got my rhythm. I can get into the word. I can get into prayer. I'm pretty much every day. Sometimes do two a days. Awesome. 
this will be maybe some helpful reminders, some little things you can integrate and tweak, but I'm, I'm not really speaking to you. I'm speaking to the rest of us who say, this is something I totally value, but I just don't prioritize it. And what I want to say is I want you to challenge yourself to do this every day just for December, between now and the end of December. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to pick a devotional plan. And I'm going to limit your choices. You're going to go on to either Bible.com or download and open the YouVersion app. It's the same program. Bible is just for desktop. YouVersion is just for phone. Under plans, you're going to do a search, and you're going to search the word Christmas. There's tons of devotional plans. Some are five days long. I'm doing one with my family called Carols, where you learn about a specific Christmas carol for 25 days, and then how it ties in in terms of the history of the carol and the, um, the Christmas story. It has a short little reading. And just, p- just pick something. Again, don't worry about, oh, there's like a million Christmas things. I don't know. Just pick one of the first five then. Just pick something. So search for something on YouVersion app or thebible.com. Pick something. Set aside 10 minutes a day. That's it. Some of you might be like spiritually prideful and being like, I've been a Christian for a long time. I can handle more than 10. No, you can't. Just 10 minutes a day. <laughs> don't, don't be that person, right, who goes to the gym is like, I'm, I'm in pretty good shape. I'll just start with some, you know, power, power cleans and no problem. You can probably up the weight. Don't. You're going to throw it your back. You're going to throw it your spiritual back if you try and go too hard, too fast with devotions. And it's okay. We'll explain how powerful 10 minutes, the difference 10 minutes can make. Just set aside 10 minutes. doesn't even have to be the same time every day, but some people find that helpful. Make a little reminder. But 10 minutes every day. And this is how you're going to structure your 10-minute time. I know it looks like a lot of steps here. Steps are really simple. You're just going to pause just for 10 or 20 seconds. Just slow down, take a few deep breaths, come into the moment. Life, stressors, different things happening. Maybe it's the start of your day. It might be a bit easier to do at the start. You're going to pray. And what you're going to say every day, if you don't know what to pray, is just open the eyes of my heart, God. God, open the eyes of my heart. That's it. Then the reading we'll have a Bible verse that you can either click on in your app, but if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to look it up just so you get kind of begin to become familiar with the Bible and it becomes less intimidating as a big book. Find the chapter and verse, the book, the chapter and verse, and just read it slowly. If it's really short, maybe read it two or three times. Again, not trying to mine it for information, just read through it, notice any details. That's gonna take you maybe a minute to two minutes. Read the devotional reflection. Someone else has written a little devotional reflection on it. Read that. Might take you a minute, minute and a half. Then you're going to ponder and just meditate, like meaning like chew it over. Like maybe there's a line, maybe there's a little thought. We're like, oh, that's kind of helpful. That's neat. I didn't know that. Or I didn't even know there was a book in the Bible called Habakkuk and I found it. That's kind of neat. And you're just going to sit there and ponder 30 seconds, a minute. Then you're going to take a little piece of paper or you can start a Christmas journal and you can write, one thing that you learned could be really short. could be like, I learned that this book was like near the f- start of the Bible. I had no idea about that. Or uh, someone, I learned the history behind joy to the world. That's kind of neat. You don't have to write a big essay. Just one little thing. Write something that you feel God taught or showed you. And then you're going to write down what you're going to do about it, your next step. You might be share it with someone. You might say, hey, this is a devotional that talked about forgiveness. I need to think about that a little bit more. Or maybe I need to talk to someone in my life who 
I just had a fight with yesterday and I know I do need to make amends to that. I'm going to do that. But some kind of action step. I'm going to do something. And then I'm gonna, you're going to take two to three minutes total probably to pray. And you're going to have a plan to pray. You're not just going to be like, prayer. It's going to be like guard, some guardrails, some structure. You're going to use the ACTS acronym. You're going to spend a little bit of time praising God, adoration, see confession, just being honest with God about ways that um, have been brought to your heart or brought to your attention and ways that you've sinned against God or hurt or damaged other people. Give thanks for at least one thing in your life. And then S is supplication. Pray for at least one thing for yourself and for someone else that you know. And if you do those things, at just even a steady, steady pace, you will be in the Bible, you will be engaging the Bible prayerfully for about 10 to 12 minutes. The time will go by really, really fast. Now, some people think, well, how much of a difference is 10 minutes going to make? Like, don't you have, like, if you're, I want to do the spiritual disciplines. Again, I want to go right to the heavy lifting. I want to really do this. But the way spiritual disciplines work is they tend not to be effective when you binge on them. I'm going to, like, go super deep into the Bible for, like, a week, and then I get exhausted, and then I don't do it for the rest of the year. But I crammed a ton of Bible reading in that one week. It's better just to do little, little seeds, little, little, little interfaces with God. Because if you do, if this was to become a habit that bled into the next year, over just the next year between now and the end of December 2019, you would, just by this discipline, you would accumulate 3,650 minutes in intentional engagement with God through his word and prayer. Now, if I said to you, what could happen in your life if you spent 3,650 minutes in intentional time in Bible study and prayer, you would say, oh, I, I bet a lot. I bet God could do a lot with that. And you'd be right, but when you bring it down to the daily level, if you maybe you th- like to think of yourself as a spiritual overachiever or you're just someone who says, well, pff, 10 minutes, that's not going to be anything. But a little steady stream begins to build, and that's what disciplines do. They teach us that in doing little things faithfully, God will respond in powerful ways. And even if it's a little discipline, even if you're like, my life is such a mess, I need to get cleaned up over here, and I need to get cleaned up over here, and I need the chaos to stop over here, and da-da-da-da-da, and I, I need to be involved in all these Bible studies. It's like, no, just, just start simple. And start with getting real with God 10 minutes a day. Christmas is a time where it's really easy to, instead of imitating Jesus and growing in that direction, to just mimic Christianity. It's a really easy time of year to just mimic having hope and mimic having peace and love and joy, kind of dressing up the outside of the cup, but inwardly we're empty. And sometimes all the lights and the gifts and the dinners and the um, the music, all those things are just our way of masking the emptiness that we're actually living out of. And it doesn't have to be that way. What I want to challenge everybody in this room to do is to pursue Jesus. Because it begins with Christ. It, it honestly does. It begins by surrendering your life to him, making him Savior and Lord. And then it means daily taking time in devotion to him, learning to be formed by him in small but significant ways, through his word, by his spirit, so that we're learning to build a friendship with him, 
as we engage his word, and as we cast our cares upon him in prayer. And then what we discover is as we begin to do that, as we begin to prioritize that, then we receive the gifts of hope and joy and peace and love in greater and greater measure. So let's focus on that this December. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace in our lives, for your mercy. God, we thank you that your word reveals these disciplines, not as a way to earn grace, not as a tax, but as a, another kind of gift, things that we can do so that your love is really, really touching our hearts and lives and impacting not just our eternity, but impacting us right here and now, bringing healing and freedom where we need it. God, as we continue to worship you, as we prepare for a time of communion, um, may our hearts be softened. May we may you open the eyes of our hearts to see. May you bring encouragement to those of us f- for whom a personal devotional time has been stagnant or non-existent for a long time. And may you use today to just invite us by your grace into a fresh rhythm with you through this Advent season. In Jesus' name, amen.